Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Well, again, welcome to Mornings uh, Without Carmen. She's off this week. I'm Paul. I'll be with you through the week. Usually I'm her faithful producer. Well, Ryan's going to be my faithful producer this week as, again, we help to bring the mind of Christ to the matters of the day. And uh, hopefully, you're, if you're driving to work right now, hopefully a smooth drive because in Philadelphia, it is not. Over the weekend, a portion of Interstate 95 in Philadelphia Collapsed a bridge. Uh, there was uh, that happened, and because of a tanker truck with carrying propane products or you know fuel, started on fire on the bridge or under the bridge, and it caused the part of the bridge to collapse in Philadelphia. Uh, thankfully, no injuries reported. That's the good news. But it's going to be it's going to be a while before it, the Interstate 95 bridge in Philadelphia is back up and running. They're going to have to do so. I, I kind of remember. Boy, this takes me back to 2007. I was living in the Twin Cities, and the 35W Bridge just suddenly collapsed. Ryan, our producer, is nodding his head because he remembers that. Uh, I had a family member who just drove across the 35W Bridge like a half hour before it collapsed. So it's like, uh, yeah. uh, It's a where were you moment for sure. Where was I? I was in the living room, and I saw it come up on the news. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where I was. But, yeah, like I said, that was kind of – and it took a while. I mean, they redirected traffic, but they did an express rebuild of that, which is actually a really nice-looking bridge. But, um, yeah, that was kind of unexpected. So, thankfully, nobody was injured, unlike the 35W bridge collapse. There were a lot of cars on the bridge at the time. Uh, Anyway, so our prayers to the people of Philadelphia as they have to uh, rework, a lot of them having to rework their their route to work this morning. Also, since I have you, Ryan, uh, you, you are the resident sports guy around here. Have you ever officiated games? As like a referee or an yeah, umpire? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I have not. You have not? No. And Why I not? don't I don't prefer to. Why? Because I would rather do so many other things that you could do in that space, personally. Yeah, you, you're, you're, I have a lot of respect for them. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to be in their shoes because they get a lot of undue comments, I should say. Exactly. <laughs> As a matter of fact, maybe you heard about this in Deptford, New Jersey, back in April, after two more umpires resigned after persistent spectator abuse, the league president, Don Bazuffi, updated the code of conduct. It specified any spectator deemed in violation, being abusive to the the refs and such and the umpires, anyone who would do that would be banned from the complex until three umpiring assignments were completed. In other words, they had to ref. (laughs) If not, the person would be barred from any Deptford Youth Sports Facility for a year. (laughs) Bazuffi says, so far, it's working, and I hope not just as a deterrent, too. But again, as you pointed out, the problem isn't going away. It's not limited to Deptford. 
uh, and a handful of unruly parents, uh, youth officials, youth officiating is in crisis. The National Association of Sports Officials said nearly 1,700, actually 17,500 uh, 17, referees surveyed said parents caused most problems with sportsmanship. Coaches came in second. Fans, just, you know, non-assigned fans, no, nobody there came in third. But it is a problem, and yeah, it is hard finding refs and umps and stuff like that. I give them credit for putting the hammer down, to be honest. Really? I think that's a good rule. Yeah. <laughs> I do. Yeah. You got you have to do something to try to deter it. And, and why do the people yell at the refs, but why are they there? Well, they're there for their kids, but you know, no kid wants to be that kid where you see your parent getting that. No, into but I'm it. talking why are the referees, why are the umpires? Oh. Why are they there? I mean, I could answer that in a, a number of different ways, but hopefully they, they enjoy the game and they want to serve people. Okay, well, we're going to have another answer in a little bit here. You know, there's been a lot of talk as we get back to trying to bring the mind of Christ to the matters of the day. There's a lot of talk, especially over the weekend, about the latest indictment of former President Trump, that he took highly top-secret documents when he left the White House, obstructed the attempts for them to be returned or sent to the National Archive where they belonged, and even let friends and others see those documents while in possession with them. Are these charges concerning uh, – why are these charges concerning that is regardless of who broke these rules? We're going to talk about that with Elizabeth Newman, who is a uh, formerly with the Department of Homeland Security, a security analyst, also part of the National Immigration Forum. She'll be joining us shortly here on Mornings uh, Without Carmen on Faith Radio. You know, I'm I'm still kind of a Viking fan, but my favorite game to watch all year is the Super Bowl. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen on Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. Now, okay, one of the reasons I like watching the Super Bowl, I can watch two battle-hardened teams at the top of their game play a really, hopefully a really good game. And since my Vikings generally haven't been in it, haven't been in it since the 1970s, I can actually watch the game without having the fan mentality, you know, because especially when fouls are called or not. And because, you know, sometimes you get really agitated with that. I'm just kind of going, oh, yeah, good call. No, oh, not bad call. But enjoy the game. Right. Maybe now, Elizabeth Newman, you're more of a baseball person, right? I am, although... We're in the process of moving to Denver, so I am rooting for the Denver Nuggets right now. Ah, well, there you go. There you go. Good for you. You're, you're, you're trying to take on the ethos of the community you live in. Very good. That's right. I, wa- I want to be supportive of our new hometown. Okay, where was your former, what were your former teams that you're really for? Oh, well, we never abandon teams. We collect <laughs> in my family. And this is, this is really my husband. Um, I just support him. But if you were to see the back of his car because I don't let him do this to my car anymore. It is littered with all sorts of college and professional football, baseball, basketball. We haven't gotten to the hockey teams yet. I don't know, maybe living in Denver we will. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a thing and people question me if I drive that car. Like, do you guys have multiple personality disorder? No, no. (laughs) It's just my husband. He gets really attached to his teams. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Okay, but, okay, for you, what's your heart team? My heart team? Yeah, the one that is your, your favoritist. Oh, I would I would say that I'm 
I use it used to be the Dallas Cowboys back in the nineties, but mm. then Jones kind of ruined the <laughs> franchise. And so I have a hard time with that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I, I really enjoyed the Nats and um, the baseball team in Washington, DC, because it was it formed when I was here. Um, mm. in DC. Okay. So I kind <sighs> of have a fondness for them. Okay. Well, the reason I'm talking all the sports is because, again, you get to the officiating issue here. Now, mm. as much as we may begroan some of the calls made against our teams, when a foul in a game is called, it, it can be for a variety of reasons, but there's a bottom line issue, actually bottom line issues, safety of the players, the in, and integrity of the game, and the long-term viability of the game. Mm. And so Yeah, well... That applies to a lot of areas of life as well. And that's where a lot of people are wrestling right now. I mean, this whole issue of the charges against former President Trump regarding these classified documents, highly classified documents. Now, as a person who's worked national security issues, first off, what did you see in in the allegations against him? Um, well, not only am I someone who's worked in and around classified material for decades. Um, I also worked in his administration. So when I read through the indictment, it looked like what I was used to dealing with when I worked for him. Uh, It's very careless. Um, It is just a blatant disregard for the rules. And early on in the administration, we assumed he just didn't know any better. The rules are kind of strict and and certainly at the executive level you're given certain um uh, deferences to have other people help you follow the rules right like you don't have to learn them all sir we'll do them for you but no you can't keep that document or no you can't leave that out on the the table we need to put it in a safe storage facility so but the the what we found after counseling him like you really shouldn't talk about this in a public setting or you can't tweet that picture out without checking with uh the originators um he he just didn't care and and that was really hard to grapple with because you we really have never had a president at least in my um personal experience as well as my mentors who go back to say uh Reagan and Carter years i i just there's no model that is out there for for a president that didn't seem to care about taking care of america's sensitive secrets and it's not about it's not really about the information per se it's not about the piece of paper it's that the the way in which we get that information is through very specialized sources mm-hmm. and methods that if compromised either lead to that source not being able to be used which would be bad or worse that source might end up being killed and that's the piece that feels almost inhuman like his or like he did not seem to care for the value of human life because he was it was explained to him some of the stuff you know if it gets out if it gets into the wrong hands people will die um our allies will no longer trust us and it will compromise american security meaning maybe we don't see a problem tomorrow but someday down the road we will be more vulnerable because this information has been made uh, or been given to a, a foreign hostile state. And, and he, he, I, I think we all still struggle with the why we don't understand why, because to me, <clears throat> the idea of 
keeping people safe is kind of what drove me into Homeland Security in the first place. Mm-hmm. But um, when I read the indictment, yeah, it's it's rather chilling to see the number of top secret and special access program type documents that were apparently not protected. They were in storage boxes and anybody, tens of thousands of people uh, were in and around that facility and could have easily accessed it. I think the only thing is, um, and and this makes the job even harder. We we perhaps won't know if somebody did access it. We don't know what might have already been taken um, because foreign intelligence groups are going to be really savvy in how they do it. They're not going to advertise. Mm-hmm. Um, so so we we're in a we don't know what's already been compromised scenario, and that's very challenging for um, intelligence officials. Mm, this is now again he. Uh... President Trump does have the opportunity to defend himself in court with this, and as well he should, um, as well as this, the government has the responsibility to make their case. I mean, all we saw were these indictments that came out. They still have It still has to be proven, yes, but here's one of those areas where I think we got to let um, the process work out, I guess. Yes, and, and the... Indictments are are what's called a spoken indictment. It has a lot of detail in it, including uh, rec- uh, photos, text messages, um, and audio recordings, which they transcribed, um, which presumably uh, we will see at some point in the court phases. But what's interesting here is that nobody is disputing that there were documents that uh, were classified in nature and being stored at Mar-a-Lago. So that's not under dispute. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, the dispute is whether he was allowed to, the dispute is over obstruction of justice. That's where the court case is going to fall down. And it's important for the uh, court case, um, the rule of law for us to move forward with those things. I guess I, <laughs> in some ways to me, that's a distraction from the fact that we've had classified materials um potentially accept access by foreign intelligence mm-hmm. officials and and that has likely created some damage for our national security. Okay, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you for doing that. I'm Paul filling in today. Elizabeth Newman uh, is uh, my guest. You can follow her, by the way, on Twitter at New Summits. Um, new is N-E-U, New Summits, and you have a lot of stuff you share there on, on Twitter so people can follow that. When we come back going to change the direction here a little bit because happening in uh, in Philadelphia right now is a trial regarding something that happened almost five and a half years ago. <laughs> Do you remember the Tree of Life synagogue shootings? It's, it's yeah, our news cycles go so fast we forget stuff like that. Well, the trial has been finally taking place and there's some issues that we need to talk around that, especially as people of faith. So that's coming up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Paul filling in here on Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Okay, we hear the news and sometimes we just react viscerally. 
maybe because of a person we favor or not. How do we apply the mind of Christ fairly, well, graciously, truthfully? That's what Mornings with Carmen is all about. I'm Paul, usually the producer, filling in for the vacation in Carmen. Elizabeth Newman is joining me now from the uh, Moonshot Group, right? As well as a former uh, member of the Department of Homeland Security. Now, we're going to get to talking about the trial going on in Pittsburgh. Thank you for correcting me, Elizabeth, about that. Regarding the shooter uh, of the Tree of Life synagogue that happened five and a half years ago. Before we get to that, Elizabeth, though, somebody asking the question, because actually a couple of people asking the question, okay, has, has stuff like this happened before where a politician will leak sensitive documents like that. And in also, there has been talk about some of the stuff that Biden had in his possession, classified documents. Can you address those issues? Yes. Um, so you have a couple of them. You have the Biden, the Pence docs that uh, were found kind of after the things went down with Trump. Um, the big difference from a legal standpoint is that both Biden and Pence uh, voluntarily had people come and search and um, they turn them over right away. So the indictment is about the obstruction um, and and how it w- was willful and intentional that they were trying to conceal and uh, hold on to the documents. In fact, what, one of the things that's notable is of all of the documents that were turned over before um, before there was a subpoena and um, really up until the there was a phase of the back and forth with the National Archives and Records Administration that um, the lawyers found some, did a search, found some documents, gave them back. The, the indictment, excuse me, the indictment does not cover those documents. The indictment is focused on the documents that for one reason or another remained at Mar-a-Lago um, and uh, were later found after the FBI searched. So that is one of the key differences. Now, from a security standpoint, it alarms me <laughs> to no end that um, we have presidents and and who knows who else uh, that seem to be not being precise and when they're packing up their things and uh, materials are uh, being stored. Um, so I, to my knowledge, we don't have um, the, gr- the great details behind what Pence had and what Biden had. Um, but my guess is that they probably did not involve special access programs. Those, those are so highly classified that sometimes only 10 people in the government are read into them. Um, in my experience, you literally get to walk into a room, somebody shows you a piece of paper, and then you don't get to take notes. You don't get to keep it, anything. You have to walk out. It's that highly controlled. Mm-hmm. So that is really really the most concerning of what uh, reportedly was found in Trump stuff. The the other one that people are asking about is the Hillary case. And I personally think Hillary should have been indicted. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know if um, they could have successfully prosecuted her, but I felt like um, even if a lot of what she did was um, supposedly, this is what Comey said, uh, you know, not done for malicious purposes and it was uh, just careless. I still think um, if you were at a certain level of authority, you don't get to be careless. And I think you should be held accountable for that. So um, so I disagreed with that decision. Um, but if you were to take the Comey standard, and David, David French wrote a great article on this on Friday. He, he is a lawyer. He is much better able to um, 
walk through the the details here, but his basic point is if you took the Comey standard, which Hillary Clinton's situation did not meet, and that's why he didn't indict, Trump's situation does meet it. It meets several aspects of that standard. And so he should be indicted under the Comey standard. Hmm. Um, But I do, I am sensitive to the fact that it is easy for um, politicians to make the case that it's a two-tier justice system, I um, I think that's a very dangerous narrative for us to play with because I certainly the men and women that are investigating and prosecuting are career um, people. They do not work for Donald Trump or Joe Biden or whoever the next president is. They work for the American people, and and certainly as human beings, they can make mistakes. And as human beings um, with authorities, sometimes they do abuse that authority. <clears throat> so it is important for us to hold them accountable. But I really get uncomfortable with uh, the narratives that somehow this is proving that there's a two-tier justice system and that the government has been weaponized against the people. That puts us on very dangerous territory, territory that leads to violence. And so I think we need to calm the rhetoric and focus on the facts. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have like, I'm going to take an extra minute here, um, Elizabeth, and I hope you can do this in a quick summary, but getting, we we teased the Tree of Life synagogue shooting that happened five and a half years ago, 11 people dead, many others wounded. The trial is still pending. Nobody questions that, uh, what's the gunman's name? Uh, Roger, what is it? Robert Bowers did it. It's the motivation they're doing. And that is an issue. Can you quickly summarize in like one minute what's that issue here? Yeah, so they're seeking the death penalty, which is quite significant um, because we we don't do that very often. Um, And in order to do that, they're trying to show that this was an act of terrorism, that he was ideologically motivated, particularly anti-Semitic in nature. And it turns out that not only is he um, anti-Semitic, there was a bit of white power um, ideology also mixed in there. But here's the thing that really is stunning. Um, A recent survey found that over three quarters of Americans, actually it's 85%, 85% of us believe at least one anti-Jewish trope, as opposed to 61% in 2019, Mm -hmm. 61% is still high, but somehow we're now up to 85%. um, And 20% of Americans believe six or more tropes, meaning these conspiracy theories, which is significantly more than the 11% found just a few years ago. So anti-Semitic tropes and conspiracy theories are on the rise and as people of the truth, we need to educate ourselves and make sure we're not buying into those lies because those lies have historically been responsible for killing millions of God's people. And so we um, we need to educate ourselves and a good place to do that would be to go to ADL.org and they have um, some great guides on common anti-Semitic tropes and how to detect it in everyday language. And and please help uh, train your kids, too, because for some reason, anti-Semitism is back with a um, mm. very sad vengeance. Oh, sorry to hear that. So, hey, Elizabeth, thanks again for joining us here on Mornings with Carmen, even if Carmen was away. I know she's going to miss the fact she didn't get a chance to talk with you, but she's having fun with her sister in Vermont. So there you go. Well, it's good for her. And I always enjoy speaking with you too, Paul. Oh, good. Thank you so much. Well, up next here on uh, Faith Radio is Breakpoint. More coming up here on Mornings with Carmen.
This is Mornings with Carmen for this Monday. Carmen's out. She will be all week. I'm Paul, her producer, filling in. And okay, how are you feeling this morning? Feeling anxious, maybe frustrated? You've been working hard. You know, people say, you need to do more of this and do more of that. You're working hard, but instead of things getting better for you, they're getting worse in your life. Well, Pastor Kyle Eidelman knows that story, but thanks to an <clears throat> executive coach and God's Word, he's seeing something different now. Things weren't working. Maybe that's where you're feeling things aren't working for you. And we're going to talk about that next here on Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen this week. And okay, I recently bought a newer car. It does have, it's a used car, yes. Uh, It does have one little glitch, and that has to do with the uh, tire pressure light. It's constantly on. Now, I've checked the tire pressure. It's fine. Talked to my mechanic. I said, oh, um, well, the problem is the sensors in the tire rims, the batteries are dead. Now, I could pay the money to get those quickly replaced, or I can wait till I rotate my tires next, uh, then get them fixed. I mean, that way I save money. That, that That's what I'm doing. Okay, the dashboard of your car. Yeah, it, it gets a little freaky when the check engine light goes on or one of the other things come on, but they're there for, they're there for a purpose. And hopefully you're thankful when those warning lights come on so you can deal with it. Well, we as humans have kind of a dashboard, too, as it were. To help us work through the dashboard warnings is Pastor Kyle Edelman. He's senior pastor of Southeastern Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. You may have heard him fill in a few times on Chip Ingram's show, Living on the Edge, here on Faith Radio. He and his wife have four kids living on a farm near Louisville, but you don't farm, Kyle? Yeah, I don't do any actual farming. I uh, <laughs> It's my wife and daughter's uh, business, and I get to enjoy the beauty of it, but... Yeah, you won't find me out there. I don't I don't know too I'm not super handy, it turns out. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. What do I, what do they what, what are their products that they uh, it's a it's a equine horse it's a horse oh, ranch cool. in Kentucky. And um so they stay busy with uh horse riding lessons and equine therapy and camps and all kinds of fun stuff. Oh, that sounds interesting. That might be an interesting conversation sometime. But today we want to talk about uh, one of your newer books, actually your newest book, When Your Way Isn't Working, Finding Purpose and Contentment Through Deep Connection with Jesus. Now, let's start off because a lot of a lot of our a lot of books come out of your personal struggle, or at least I find that with a lot of authors, their personal trying to wrestle through some issues and you had some issues you were wrestling through a few years ago and your personal dashboard warning lights were going on. What was going on in your heart? Yeah. You know, I think that the in you through you um, theory is pretty consistent that what God does through you, he often wants to do in you first. And sometimes what he does in you isn't always what you would choose. It can be difficult, um, but he never wastes it. And so he takes what he does in you and he does some things through you that has consistently been true for me. I I have seen as a pastor um, the different emotions that tend to surface when people have some way that isn't working, right? You could fill in the word way with anything, parenting, marriage, faith, uh, health, finances, lots of different things. 
But when their way isn't working, you start to see these lights on the dashboard go off and um, it's discouragement, this prolonged lack of courage and enthusiasm. It's normal to feel that way off and on through the course of a day. But when that begins to define you over a long period of time, um, it has a significant impact to not just on you, but the people around you. Another light that goes off on that dashboard would be... Um, fatigue, just feeling tired and worn out. It's coming home at the end of the day and laying on your couch and getting on the phone and just trying to get through and um, not having the extra energy or the passion. Um, another light on that dashboard would be anxiety, where you're just aware of all the different things that you can't control, all the different things that um, you ha don't have power over. And, and then the last one would be frustration, where you just have this underlying sense of irritation with people and things frustration is one of those um emotions that is uh, that spreads right like you can feel frustrated because one area of your life isn't working and it doesn't take long for you to feel frustrated in every area of your life and so i had seen these things as a pastor as i'd helped people when they were at this place this intersection when their way wasn't working and then i began to experience some of that more personally i began to recognize some of those same things in my own life yeah what was going on with that well i yeah i you know i was in a season of transition uh my getting ready to be empty nesters it's been a crazy season at church and with leadership during covid and all mm -hmm. those things and um it, a lot of it would be what i would call kind of a cumulative effect it wasn't just one thing it was uh all kinds of things i think um psychologists call it stress contamination right where you can't <laughs> just it's not easy to identify one source but together it it adds a certain pressure and weight and uh, it was very subtle for me, and it's not something I felt uh, very clearly. I needed to have some other people point that out to me. And so I had a friend one day who said, hey, I've got a, a buddy who's an executive coach. You, he, he said to me, you haven't really been yourself lately. I think you should, I think you should make an appointment with him. And I, I heard that. And I'm like, well, you know, an executive coach, that sounds like a that sounds like a, a this sounds like a worthwhile thing. Maybe I should try it. And I got on the phone with this guy and I realized pretty quickly that I, I'm like, you're not a, you're a therapist who calls herself an executive <laughs> coach. So people who have trouble asking for, for help will make an appointment with you. And, um, and, and, it, and I just began to recognize in my own life, things that were easier for me to see in others. Mm, so he, he kind of came back with you when I was reading this portion of your book. Again, the book is entitled uh, When Your Way Isn't Working is like Dr. Phil coming at you. How's that working for you? And it wasn't. That was the issue, right? Yeah, well, and and I would have to say that the gospel predates Dr. Phil on that question. <laughs> you know that yeah, uh, uh, you know that is that is the sin problem, and um, it's just recognizing that when our our ways are not aligned with God's way; it doesn't work out. We've got an entire Old Testament um, with examples of different narratives, different characters who experience the reality of that. And um, and so it should drive us then to a, a point of recognition, a point of of um, the Bible would use the word repentance, a realization that the way I have been going isn't working and I need to go a different direction. Mm -hmm. One of the key things, though, as we talk about this book is these dashboard indicators that you're talking about, especially when they're all flashing, it's a big issue. Um the big bottom line issue is disconnection. Disconnection from what? 
Yeah. So my argument in this book would be that our traditional Dr. Phil approach to our way not working is to work our way out of it, is to have our checklist um, action items you know, here's here's how I fix it. I'm going to I'm going to produce my way into a solution. I'm going to Google uh, my way into a solution. I just don't have the right information or I just don't have the right. I haven't listened to the right podcast. And and so we we tend to think, OK, if I've if my way is not working, this is how I fix it. But but biblically, what we would see is that it's not so much a production problem as it is a connection problem. It's not so much something that you need to do, but someone you need to be. It's it's a connecting to Jesus. And so the anchor verse for this uh, book is John 15, verse 5, where Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If anyone remains in me and I remain in him, um, they will bear much fruit. But apart from me, they can't do anything. And abiding or connecting or remaining doesn't always feel very productive. It doesn't always feel like we're doing something, but it's that connection that is almost always the what's missing or is or what needs more attention when our way isn't working. All right. We're talking with uh, Pastor Kyle Adelman uh, from Louisville, Kentucky, the uh, Southeast Christian Church and author of the new book, When Your Way Isn't Working. So how do we get reconnected? What does that entail? We're going to talk about that next, how we get reconnected with Jesus more deeply as we continue here on Faith Radio. If you're a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome pack gift. Request yours today at MyFaithRadio.com. Discouragement, frustration, fatigue, anxiety, maybe that's something you're dealing with right now. Hey, I'm Paul, and this is Mornings with Carmen. Again, these are signals of possible disconnection, disconnection from Jesus and the gospel. Does that push you back to Scripture? Well, let's continue our conversation with Pastor Kyle Eidelman from Southeastern Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, author of the new book, When Your Way Isn't Working. And Kyle, you know, as I read the book, I, I sense you're kind of a doer kind of guy. Right, you're you're one who you have a goal, you work toward that, you want things humming on all cylinders, and when they're not, that's where the problems arise. Yeah, you know, I think that appeals to all of us innately. Is okay. I if I got myself into this, I want to get myself out of it. I think it's especially a Western world value mm-hmm. that you know we can independently take care of this. I don't need God's help. I don't need anybody's help. I can I can fix it myself. And um, and and when you try to do that and it doesn't work, then the question is, OK, do I just keep going around and round in circles in this way? Do I keep running on this treadmill of trying to fix it myself or do I ask for help from someone else? And and so in John 15, where Jesus is talking to his disciples, this is one of the last conversations that he would have with his closest followers and he knows what they're going to deal with, right? Like he knows the trouble, the challenges. He knows the mocking, the uh, ridicule that they will experience. He knows all of it. And his message to them again and again, I think, in fact, 11 times in these handful of verses, Jesus says, remain in me, remain in me, mm-hmm. remain in me. It's all about you know, staying connected to him as our as our source. And as you were talking about that, and I was reading that, I'm kind of going, yeah. I mean, have I stayed connected at all times with Christ? Obviously not, because that's where my frustrations and anxieties and such pick up. So let's dig into that a bit more, especially because as you look at what's called the farewell discourse in John chapter 15, 
he is a calling for them to remain with him. Now, again, doer mindset. Verse 2 kind of jumps out at us, and it kind of reinforces our doer mindset with the way it's translated in most editions, um, where it talks about, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, talking about the Father, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. Now, there's more to this verse than what meets the eye. Help us understand it better. Yeah, well, there's a couple of words in there that can be translated different ways. One is to understand in me. So Jesus has made it clear that if we remain in him, we will bear fruit. It's not a question of if. When, if we remain in him, we will bear much fruit. If we don't remain in him, we can't bear anything. So there's this promise that if we remain in him, we'll bear fruit. But then there's also in verse 2 this anyone who remains in me and doesn't bear fruit is cut off. Well, how's that possible? If we remain in him, he's already said we will bear fruit. And so now he says, if we remain in him and don't bear fruit, we'll be cut off. Well, the, the, the word cut off here is a really interesting word in the, in the Greek, because it could mean either cut off or it could mean to lift up. And those are two very different meanings. And so if you look at this exact same word in John's own writing and his own gospel, it's used a couple of different times. John 5, 8, uh, Jesus says to the paralyzed man, pick up your mat and walk. And that word pick up is the same word that's translated cut off in John 15, verse 2. Um, but we see it again in John 8, 59. Again, same gospel writer where um, the religious leaders uh, pick up stones to stone Jesus. And so there's this um, there's, there's the same word that's translated as both cut off and, and pick up. And so the question is, well, which one does it mean? And I think for the people listening to this message in this agrarian culture, they would have understood it to mean pick up because if a vine and a branch are connected, but the branch isn't bearing fruit, it's likely because it's in the dirt. As long as it stayed connected to the vine, it should bear fruit. And and so what a gardener will do is come and they'll pick the branch up out of the dirt, clean it off, intertwine it with some lattice or intertwine it with other branches so that it can be held up off the ground and and it, that way it can have a life. And, and so a gardener's job oftentimes in a vineyard is to pick up so if they see the branch isn't connected, they throw it in the fire. It's not worth anything. But as long as that branch is connected to the vine, then it gets picked up, cleaned off, and can be purposed for uh, producing fruit. And then from there, I mean, okay, let me back up because I look at Matthew twelve twenty, where Jesus talks about a bruised reed he will not break. He, he's trying to encourage life. He's trying to encourage productivity and fruitfulness, right? Yeah, that's – yeah, fruitfulness – is it absolutely is an indicator of life in Jesus, but it, it's not something we achieve to prove th- that we have life in Jesus. It's something that is an overflow or a natural byproduct of staying connected to Jesus. It's like the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. Those fruit are not things that we can, it's not fruit of our, our self work it's fruit of the spirit and so in abiding and staying connected um, that's how the fruit grows Mm -hmm. and you see it played out later in the gospel of john when it comes to peter don't we yeah you know peter's life is such a good example of of this and how he um he's growing and like and scripture 
lets us in on that process. Like we don't get to just meet Peter and he's this finished product and it's all clean and, and it looks pretty. Like we get to watch as he, as he grows, his connection to Jesus over a period of years uh, changes him and gives him, gives him faith. He learns to be dependent upon Jesus and the spirit um, in, in his personal life and in how he ministers and cares for others. Uh, and, And so just as, as Peter has this growth pattern, like that's the challenge is to look back and say, okay, you know, if I've had these lights going off on my dashboard for the last year or two years, and it's, it's the same lights and they keep going off and everybody around me seems to notice it, but nothing seems to change. I mean, that's a, that's a connection problem. It it doesn't mean that we won't still have challenges or struggles, but it does mean that we should be able to see growth that, that the fruit of our lives should become more evident. Mm-hmm. Now, we can go in deeper because you also talk about the bonsai way because, yes, God also prunes us. Even if we're bearing fruit, he wants us to produce more. And so, like a good vine keeper, he's, God is going to do that. But bottom line, as we, again, we're dealing with those feelings of disconnection and being connected, even when we are living this well-connected life, it's not everything's not gumdrops and lollipops. There's still that pruning. There's the pain. But there's also promise. Talk about that promise of staying connected. Yeah, well, you know, in this farewell discourse where Jesus talks to us about being the branch, he tells us at the beginning of the discourse in John 14 and at the end of it in John 16, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. And that that, that word trouble is uh, is a strong word. It's an emotional word. It doesn't mean like inconvenience or annoyance, like it's it's suffering. And, and Jesus doesn't say, hey, you might experience that. It, he says, you will experience that. You will, you will have trouble. Things will not always work out your way. And so his plea to his disciples, whom he loves, is, hey, when trouble comes, stay connected to me. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then he ends that discourse with saying, I have overcome I have overcome the world. So in this world, you, you have trouble, but stay connected to me because I am the one who has overcome it. And, and so our connection to him is not this hopeful, I think everything will work out, and maybe if I just stay connected – things will change. It is a, it is a promise of victory. It's a declaration that's already been made that, that Jesus has won. And so we stay connected to him when trouble comes, knowing that the victory has already been achieved on the cross. So again, we got to keep that long game, long view of the kingdom coming, right? That's right. Yeah. That's where our hope is. It's not in this world. It, it's in heaven. All right. Kyle Allerman's been our guest here on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for joining us, Kyle. And, um, Okay, can you at least help out a little bit the horses? Uh, just... <laughs> yeah, maybe. You know, I, I I can't make you any promises live. I I, I just can't do it. <laughs> well, again, thank you for joining us here on Mornings with Carmen. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. See you, bro. This is Faith Radio. Well, again, this is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul filling in this week, and, you know, we were talking a little bit with Kyle there about uh, bearing fruit. Um, We're going to focus on that a bit more tomorrow. One of my guests will be Jonathan Cruz. He's got a book out called The Character of Christ. When we look at the fruits of the Spirit, as mentioned in Galatians, do we look at that and say, oh, that looks like like Jesus? Because if we're not seeing that... We're, we're missing it. We want to see that in the life of Jesus. So we're going to talk about that tomorrow. Hey, don't forget, this is Forgiveness Month here at Faith Radio. Maybe that's an area you're struggling with. 
forgiving somebody else or asking for forgiveness. Well, we have a lot of great resources on our website at MyFaithRadio.com, podcasts, articles, videos to help you find healing and peace this month. Hey, I'm Paul. Again, thank you for listening to Mornings with Carmen. If you missed any part of the show, remember the podcasts are available or will be a little bit later on at MyFaithRadio.com, on the Faith Radio app, or yeah, wherever you get your podcasts. They'll be there. Again, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.